0: Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip addresses why a lot of people And now, here's Philip.
1: All right. We have another episode. And this one I think is going to be really good and constructive. I think people that are planning for retirement, which some people define as uh, one day being in a position to work because you want to, not because you have to. And I even think other like financial advisors, um, estate planners, CPAs, other people who help clients plan. Will also find it useful because retirement is is challenging. It's always been challenging, and it's gotten a lot more challenging with interest rates being low. So let me let me explain what I mean. So earlier in the week on on my Facebook post, and I also wrote a LinkedIn article about it. I, I outlined that if you retired in 1980 and you had a million dollars, you could just put your million dollars in 30-year government bonds, which are U.S. government bonds are considered safest assets on the planet. You could have put your money there and generated about $100,000 a year in income from that. Today, 30-year bond is paying something like two-ish, two-something percent. I think it's 2.23 or something last I checked. So that same million today would only buy 20000 a year. And over that time, the cost of the average house, right? My, my metric for inflation, I don't use the government-reported CPI because that is intentionally using a basket of stuff that is not super relevant because right, everything, the, the government's pension plan, what they pay in interest is based off of inflation. And so and so I, they like to use a smaller number, uh, which I guess if I were them, it would make sense. I like to use housing, right? Housing is a better form of inflation, uh, real inflation you know, for the area you're living in, right? Because inflation depends on where you live. It depends on your tax bracket because people who have less income buy different things, than people who buy, who have more income. And what you buy dictates your personal inflation rate. And so housing is a better metric because people who have more income live in the same area, in the same state. And so I like to use housing. Here's my point. The average, at the same time that, you know, the income on a million dollars went from 100,000 to twenty the average US median house price went up like five times. And so income for retirement went lower, but the cost of living got higher. And so that that creates a challenge because the the traditional thought process around retirement is hey, I, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm far away from retirement, I can have more money in stocks. But as I get closer to retirement, you know, it's natural to want to put more money in bonds. You have more money right? You're older, you want to take less risk, and so you want to add more money in bonds, which is why people traditionally, like with 1980, take a million, put in the bond portfolio, uh, live off some of the interest and reinvest the rest so it can keep pace with the cost of living. So the problem is now the income on bonds are not paying much. And what it's also done is the expected return of all assets that deliver future cash. So Cash is, you know, is cash. But bonds is a future delivery of cash, right? You say, hey, I'm gonna give you a million dollars, and over time, you're gonna pay me a million dollars back through interest. If you buy a stock, you say, I'm gonna give you a million dollars in the future. You're gonna pay me back it through appreciation and dividends or whatever. And so, when all assets that deliver future cash are gonna be affected by short-term cash rates and bonds, right? It kind of trickles up from there. If if short-term rates are low, which which they're like, you, we get no interest in the savings account. That means that the 10-year bond interest is very likely gonna be affected, which it has been, so that's why you know, income went down from 100 grand on 30-year bond to 20 grand, so that got affected. And it also affects stock returns. So stocks have historically earned more than bonds, but the expected returns of stocks have, have also gone down. And, and so that's created another challenge. But going back to the first challenge, in a, if if you're thinking about investing and planning for retirement, no longer can you, in my opinion, get by with the bulk of your money in bonds wh- where they are right now. Right? Uh, what I feel like the industry does right now is they talk about the sixty forty portfolio or the fifty percent of your portfolio in bonds or sixty percent of your portfolio in bonds in retirement, and they talk about it like we're not looking at the same interest rates. It's kind of like, oh, here's the problem. We're going to put our head in the sand and ignore <laughs> ignore the problem. No, that's no the, the the problem is here. And at the same time, that you don't get as much income in retirement, and the cost of living is going up at a higher level. We have people living longer, which is a challenge. And so you have all these challenges uh, that are building up, that's causing us, you know a problem in retirement. So, you know, so what's the solution to the current problem we're in? Part of it to understand what, fully what's going on, go look at my recent LinkedIn blog posts. I wrote two. LinkedIn blog post. Let me pull them up so I can get the name of them. They're articles in the article section. So it's the end of money as we know it and read Bitcoin as an asset class in a portfolio. And I would also listen to the last few podcasts that I've put out the unknown wealth transfer tax. Just listen to that one. Those two things will kind of start you on the process of, of, of what's going on. But how to actually improve your portfolio, you're going to want to have assets in your portfolio that are likely going to return more money than inflation. And let me pause right there for a second, because I just talked about inflation that's going up a lot over the last 30, 40 years. The inflation going up hasn't even really started because now we're in a period of time where the central banks around the world, the only, the only game in town. So let me, let me, let me give you a little bit of clip that's going to be in some of them shows, because you got to understand understand the solution. We're at a period of time where the global economy has so much debt and developed countries that have all the money, like the US, Japan, Europe, Eurozone, they're so developed that there's not much room to grow, right? So you have a lot of debt, not much room to grow. Think of it like like AT&T, right? AT&T is not going to grow much more because it's already a behemoth in, in its industry. Or think of like in a person standpoint, somebody who's 50 years, 55 years old. And this is in general, right? In general, the average 55 year old who's been in a career for 30, 40 years, they're probably at the top of their pay scale. Their pay is not going to grow as rapidly as it did when they were 20 and 30, right? And And then you layer on top of that, a 55 year old who is maxed out on the amount of credit they can get. So they, they really can't increase the quality of their life that much anymore. Like That's the world right now. So the world is in a situation where there's just not much more growth and there's so much debt, you really can't juice it up by adding debt, which is what they've done over the last 20 or 30 years, really 40 years, we've juiced up a lot of debt. And so in that position, you say, oh, the, you say, okay, how do they fix this problem if we can't get any more debt? Well, you have to pay the debt off to help, help grow more and one solution to paying a debt off is to just have a debt jubilee right which is forgiving all the debts but they're not going to do that because if they forgive all the debts then you know there'll be all kinds of like chaos home prices of homes and portfolios will go down it'll affect folks retirements affect banks and the the, the natural markets would have fixed this problem so so naturally we would we probably would not have gotten to this point because interest rates would have rose to compensate people for investing money because the returns are lower. Like when, when, when asset prices get get too high or overinflated, like think of bubbles, right? Bonds are in a bubble. People say, I don't want to own this anymore because it's in a bubble and it's very likely to go down. I'm not going to pay any more money. So that they move their money to, to, to other places that will provide a better return. But the federal government has artificially propped the market up through different different ways because they know that if the asset prices go down again chaos like i mentioned before every, everything goes down so asset prices want to go down right they want to go down to 20 or 30 years <laughs> from from where we are right now but but they're not letting it and they've had to print more money every time we've gotten into a bond, a bind every time to to affect nature right so so before it was 1987 crash, cool. When, when the market crashed 20% in one day, let's just lower interest rates one time. Then tech bubble tech bubble bust, let's just lower interest rates a little bit more, right? And so they kept doing it, but now it's like, okay, after 08, they had to inject a bunch of money in the system, right? And every time we have a crisis, they have to put more money in, right? And we're in a situation now to where, you know, we just got, we got, what, two stimulus, two stimulus checks last year, and we're on track to do two more. And like, people, this is not going to be a, one-time thing like this is they were already in the markets buying bonds every year since the 2008 crash for the most part like central banks have been propping the system up now this is the next next lever that they're going to have to be able to do so this money printing is going to make the cost of living worse which which here's my point on that it was already a challenge because income was lower and cost of living was rising the cost of living rises even more as they do more money printing which means like Bonds and cash are going to be worth even less over time, and so what, what you want to do in your portfolio is you want to say, okay, what are the assets that do well in that environment where there's lots of money printing and there's asset and now future cost of living, real cost of living inflation, like like cost of living inflation that is actually shows up in the the the, the terrible numbers that they the wrong numbers that they that they publish, right? That creates a, a real problem, and so people's like, hey, what what are assets that do well in that environment? Well. Think of economics one on one right supply and demand curve, right so what's happening is as they print more money it's making the supply of paper assets worth less because you can divide assets into two columns paper assets and hard assets, right things that are scarce and then paper that can be printed stocks can be they can add more shares bonds they could create more through you know issuing more more debt, but real estate they can't make any more of gold they can't make any more of Bitcoin they can't make any more of and, and then and then inside the stocks right because it, it don't mean dump all your stocks but then you want to say okay in the stock market I want to be more selective so if stocks as a whole are not going to be do well there are still some stocks that people are gonna uh, want to own either way whether they're you know whether they're you know using that using dollars to pay for the stocks Bitcoin to pay for the stocks gold to pay for the stocks seashells whatever they are such uh, integral part of our society, they're going to print more cash over and above the inflation rate because people need them. So think of these like as as monopoly companies. So this is monopoly companies that are growing at a good rate of return a year. So think of Amazon, right? Google, Facebook, Etsy is another company that I like, Shopify, right? These are all like networks that are really strong growing at an uh, aggressive rate, that those type of companies should do well in an environment where the easy money continues like the money printer continues but asset and cost of living inflation rises a lot so you want to find those companies that are growing aggressively but that also have a monopoly and add those to your portfolio as as what i call like insurance right because he, he, here's the one thing like you can understand economics and you can understand what options the government has and position accordingly right the the thing you you're never gonna know is timing right and certainty Because right? they could you know there's a maybe they maybe they could prop this thing up for twenty or th- you know thirty years and maybe some- t- somehow it works it's eventually gonna like things eventually come back to laws of nature but but timing you don't know, and so what you wanna do is like not freak out and dominate your entire portfolio by just one idea right the inflation theme. But what I call is you wanna have some some insurance, right? We you know, we we buy insurance for if if we die, you know, or, or if our home blows up. And so I call it for my portfolio and a few clients portfolio, like Bitcoin is the insurance or these stocks that are you know, really pricey right now, but do well in a type of an environment are a form of insurance, right? Gold is a form of insurance, buying real estate is a form of Uh, insurance. And the thing I like about them is they're actually insurance, you know, that actually pay you money while you're waiting because these things have like made money, you know, over the last few years. But I call them insurance because, you know, let's say you put money in them and they go down or they go down less than if you just bought the S&P 500 and kept your money in in, and all in there for all of your money. So that's why I refer to them as insurance because they're like a hedged a hedge bet for, for the portfolio. Now, how much should you put whatever that's, you know, that, I can't answer that on the podcast. That's what I individually do for clients when I manage accounts because it's based on your goals, risk tolerance, circumstances, and all that kind of stuff. But the point is you do not want to have a portfolio in my opinion that's not hedged with some insurance in it in the current environment we're in because you're not your your portfolio is very likely not going to make enough money to keep pace with the cost of living. And I think gone are the days where you can just put your money in a bond portfolio and retire or put your, put your money in annuity. Cause by the way, an annuity is just a bond portfolio that they, and they take the principal from you when you die, which is even worse. And so you're going to have to be more strategic in your retirement planning and not do a set it and forget it. Like you're going to, you're going to have to be well diversified. You're going to have to have inflation hedges. Uh, you're going to have to make sure you rebalance and you're going to have to just navigate the crazy world that we're in with it's not gonna it's not gonna be easy anymore. The cool part is, there's also lots of opportunities. I, I did a podcast that drops before this one uh, with a friend of mine who n- navigated a successful career in corporate America, and the theme that I see with successful people in life and successful investing is the people who are successful navigate uncertainty with faith and courage, right? Because Everybody deals with uncertainty, and when you have uncertainty, you can put your head in the ground and like ignore it, or you can fall into it, or you can I mean lean into it and execute a plan that gives you it's, it's not blind it's not just blind faith, but it's hey, look, I'm assessing the problem, here's a solution to the problem. I'm uncertain, but how do I manage my risk and let me move forward with confidence and, and being wise and seeking wise counsel and making the next best decision. So I'm doing this episode to help people make the next best decision. I hope this helps somebody. Y'all enjoy your day. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock-based or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time. And the decision-making process around what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so, what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no cost no obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested. To sign up for a time, go to my website, StonehillWealthManagement.com, and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. StonehillWealthManagement.com.